0: Olá pessoal, tudo bem, and welcome to the Brazil Crypto Report podcast, where we talk to the builders, entrepreneurs, and influencers from the Brazil crypto ecosystem. I'm your host, Aaron Stanley, and today I'm joined by Kirill Gertman, who's the CEO of Conduit Financial, which provides on-ramps into DeFi for exchanges and fintechs in Latin America and elsewhere. Before we jump in, I'd like to say a quick thank you to our partner for this episode, which is the Hvar Foundation. HBAR Foundation works to support growth across the Hedera Hashgraph ecosystem. If you're an entrepreneur in Brazil or the Latam region, and you have a cool project or an idea that needs some help scaling or just getting started, I highly recommend taking a look at these guys. They have several different grant funds in operation that are seeding projects across DeFi, FinTech, NFTs, and sustainability. And they've got a lot of other resources to help you out on your journey. So please do head over to hbarfoundation.org to take a look and learn more. With that, I'd like to welcome Kirill to the show. Thank you, Aaron. It's uh, good to be here with you. Great, yeah, thanks so much for taking the time. Um, So to get us started, why don't you tell us just a bit about yourself and about Conduit Financial?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Kirill, as you said. Um, I'm actually originally from Ukraine, uh, but I left a long time ago and I lived in a number of countries around the world, eventually settling in the U.S. And uh, I spent probably the last twelve years in fintech, both on the startup side and on the banking side, and I think around four or five years now in uh, crypto. And basically, that entire time, I was trying to build better products, right, for for consumers, for companies to use. Because, you know, when I started back in 2010 or so, financial services were pretty terrible in many different ways, and they're still not great, but. I was trying to do my part in improving them. And that was actually the reason why I moved between, you know, uh, FinTechs and banking and eventually crypto, because I thought, you know, finally crypto is a way for us to create products that are actually different, right? So then they're they're not just dependent on the legacy sort of infrastructure, uh, but you can actually create things that are different. And that's been true, you know, in the last couple of years, especially with DeFi. And that's actually why I started Conduit together with my co-founder, Mike, Uh, is to enable, you know, all kinds of companies, exchanges, fintechs, neobanks to build, you know, better products on top of DeFi without having to figure out uh, the entirety of the complexity of what it takes to, you know, go from like, say, fiat, right? Whether that's reais in Brazil or pesos in Mexico, dollars in the US. How do you go from there into a stable coin? How do you figure out custody? How do you, you know, move funds into a protocol? How do you monitor then what's going on in the protocol? How do you then withdraw, right? There's a lot of things that are really not obvious for people that haven't been in this uh, ecosystem for a while. And that's, that's our goal, right? We want to just take that complexity away, abstract it away, and help people just get access to the value, which you know, Yield is a good example of that.
0: Great. So
1: why don't you tell us a bit
0: about what Conduit's business in Latin America looks like?
1: Yeah. Um, so essentially that, that's what we're doing, right? So we help companies go from a number of local f- uh, currencies, local fiat currencies. So as I mentioned, we support reais uh, in Brazil. Uh, we support uh, Colombian peso, Argentinian peso, we support Mexican uh, peso as well and we help them convert into a stable coin. So we can actually let you choose whichever stable coin you prefer, but we always recommend USDC as being the most uh, stable and secure one, in our opinion. And then, you know, we help you manage keys, manage custody of that crypto, and then we help you get yield, right? So we can deploy uh, those stable coins into a variety of Yield generating v- venues, right? So permissionless DeFi, permission DeFi, uh, centralized uh, lenders as well, which creates a really nice spread, right? It, it risks the whole thing quite a bit. And, you know, companies can then build uh, essentially high yield accounts for their end users, right? If you're an exchange, you've probably seen a couple of these uh, type type of, type of uh, features. And that's, that's what we power in the back end.
0: So it's basically, it's basically an API that an exchange or a fintech or another type of provider that offers crypto and buying and selling to retail consumers or larger consumers can kind of plug into and then they can access some of these DeFi yields that we've been hearing so much about uh, the last couple of years without necessarily needing to have a team on staff to you know try to figure out all these things themselves and set all these things up themselves, basically. Is that an accurate summation?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Essentially, our value proposition is plug into us and we give you everything you need to just make it work as opposed to you having, you know, six engineers working for six months, uh, trying to figure it out from scratch and
0: kind of learning the same things that we really learned and productized for us to, uh, essentially to make their life easier. I want to get in. I mean, I feel like this conversation is really timely, just given kind of what's happened in the markets the last couple of weeks. So I want to get into that. Before we do, I want to kind of focus in a bit more on the, the markets that you're operating in in Latin America right now. And I'd like you to kind of give some color on which markets are you kind of most active in, or do you have the most clients in? Are you getting the most usage in? And then what markets are you eyeing right now? Where are your kind of your plans for maybe expanding in the region? Right now in Latin America, we can support customers in Argentina, in Brazil, in
1: Colombia, um, in, in Chile and in Mexico, although Mexico with certain restrictions. Um, and I think we're seeing a lot of demand in Colombia. Uh, we're seeing a lot of demand in Argentina. We're also seeing demand in Brazil. But you know, to, to your question, where we think there's the most potential, I think Brazil is actually definitely number one in terms of both the growth of the fintech ecosystem over there and just the crypto ecosystem over there. Um, and I think the size of the country, size of the market, I think that's the biggest opportunity
0: for us in the region. And we definitely want to be growing aggressively there. Yeah, I think a lot of other folks would agree with that statement, myself included. Let's shift gears slightly here and talk a bit about just kind of what's happened across the markets more generally the last few weeks. And obviously, I I think we can all agree on a few things that like DeFi uh, is a thing that is here to stay. There was also a lot of shenanigans and just crazy stuff out there and yields that were just not sustainable and things that were just you know, kind of outright Ponzi schemes. And, you know, I'm glad we're having this conversation now because I do think this is an important subject to grasp where we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but we also want to recognize that like, okay guys, like it it doesn't matter what form the investment product comes in. You know, when you're, when you're promising people like 20% yields on things, your red flag sort of radar needs to like, like you need to realize that this is probably unsustainable, right? I mean, how do you, what would your, be your advice whether it's a, an investor or whether it's, you know, a service provider in the Latin America market who is maybe wrestling with this question of like, I mean, given what's just happened the last few weeks, is this a product that like I want to be offering my customers right now, given, you know, kind of negative uh, publicity here? And, I you know, actually a big part of our value proposition has been from the beginning
1: is the fact that we essentially look at everything that we're integrated into. We validate all these protocols. We test them, you know, for safety, for security reasons, right? We look at their audits. We also look at the risk models and their lending models. And we decide, you know, are we going to be enabling our customers to plug into that or not? So essentially the part of the service is actually curation, I would say, right? And and it's kind of binary for us, right? Because they're... Um, you know, basically whatever we accept, whatever we decide is safe and secure and sustainable, then, you know, we let you, without our customers to plug into. And then whatever we decide is not safe or secure or sustainable, we don't. And, you know, you kind of mentioned the recent market. So, UTERA is actually a really good example. Anchor is a really good example. Well, we had a lot of customers that are coming to us and saying, I just want Anchor, right? Why don't you just give me an API into Anchor and I'll be happy and that's all I want from you. And we weren't doing that. And up until, what is it now, three or four weeks ago, that was, people uh, were surprised by that, and in some cases actually turned away, right, uh, from us. And I think the reason that we weren't doing this is because we looked at it and we basically realized that this is not sustainable, it will crush at some point, and it's too high risk. And, you know, Celsius and other things are very similar to that. So I think what's happening right now is I think short term, obviously very painful for everyone involved, but actually long term, it's going to be healthier for the entire ecosystem, right? Because you have a lot of these plays that, you know, we basically, I don't necessarily want to say Ponzi scheme in every, you know, in every case, somewhere, somewhere. And, but I think every, all of them were essentially banking on the fact that it's going to be a limitless supply of whether that's venture capital or whatever other capital that's going to come their way. and that's dried up. And so now all of these unsustainable plays, all of these plays that were too risky are gone or are going away. And that's great because what's gonna remain are things that are actually working, right? And I, I will add actually, by the way, one, one more point that I feel like people are not talking about it enough, which is the fact that if you look at the, you know, look at things like Celsius or three hours capital, right? You look at things that essentially failed. Um, they were all highly centralized and they were all a black box to the customers, right? So like your customer Celsius, you didn't necessarily know what's going on inside there. But if you look at the actual protocols, right? If you look at Compound or Aave or Uniswap or Curve or any number of these examples, even under extreme market pressure, right? Even under very severe conditions, they're actually working just fine, right? They're working flawlessly. Sure, there's a lot of liquidations, but again, they're working as designed, right? They haven't crashed, there's no downtime. Uh, everything is functioning. And to me, that's a big testament to the fact that the underlying technology is very sound, right? It's just the fact of how people are using it. And if they're trying to somehow abstract it, or obscure it, right? You know, kind of like, you know, over leverage and all these sort of things that they were doing. If you misuse it, yeah, it's going to be a problem. But the actual tech, I think, works really well.
0: That leads into my next question, which was going to be, what protocols are you kind of recommending, you know, instead of Luna and Terra and Anchor and these types of things? You, know, you mentioned Uniswap curve, you know, kind of the OGs of DeFi, if you will. You know, 2020, these were all kind of the, the darlings of like kind of the first DeFi wave. I mean, obviously, compound kind of kicked the whole thing off with the its governance token liquidity mining scheme and everybody else kind of copycatted. And there was a lot of fluff that blew up there, but we had some legit players. But it's and then we had, you know, last summer around this time we had the whole kind of DeFi 2.0 wave, which also resulted in a lot of <laughs> blown up, uh, you know, people losing a lot of money, right? And you know, I mean, I guess I find it interesting that even after all of this, we're going back, and the conversation keeps going back to you know, kind of like these guys that are kind of like the uniswaps and the compounds and the aves, like we're everybody kind of knows who they are, and they're they're kind of the staples of the market. But you're finding repeatedly that these guys are the ones that have really sort of withstood the test of time here, so to speak.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think there's a couple of things here, and I think one is is which is interesting is a lot of them, right? Obviously, compound is the first one, but a lot of them were built in the last crypto winter actually right and this is the winter like we're having now is a time to build things right that, that will last and I think that's actually one of the reasons why they're they're still functioning well right because they were actually built in an environment that was not as easy essentially as you know maybe 2021 20, for example right with a with of capital um, but I also think there's a new crop of, of uh, protocols that I really like Uh, permissioned protocols, right? So Goldfinch, for example, Maple is another good example. And again, they're actually functioning just fine right now. Uh, We're connected into them as well. And I I like them for a couple of reasons. One is it gives more optionality, right? So the permission, meaning they're doing KYB on the counterparty, so the counterparties are known. That makes a lot of regulators more comfortable with the whole idea. I'm not saying that everything has to be you know, KYC, KYB, but having that option, right? If that's what you choose is good. Um, and that's one reason that I like them. And then the second reason, probably even more so, let's say with the example of Goldfinch, the borrowers of a lot of these protocols are actually uh, sometimes real world businesses, right? And not just like the large crypto traders like we're seeing elsewhere. And that's really interesting to me because I think that's that's what my mission is with conduit, but you know, hopefully, others in the system is how do we actually bridge the gap? How do we bring crypto to the real world as much as possible and not be stuck within our kind of bubble, right? And just trading between ourselves, and I think that's that's unhealthy.
0: And I think just to kind of circle back, I mean, this, this isn't necessarily like a you know a DeFi conversation, but we're we're trying to make the point that a service provider in Latin America, an exchange, or a fintech who's looking to offer these types of services to their customers, but May you know after the last few weeks, may be wary of doing so, just given some of the marketing and some of the PR and the and the publicity issues around this. You know, it's not a good idea to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Essentially, there are reliable products here that are are there are reliable protocols that are that have kind of stood the test of time, and they can generate these yields. There's sort of real world use cases here that are being enacted, and uh, we've also kind of flushed a lot of the crazy stuff out of the system, essentially, and. You know, and the reason I, I, I'm kind of hammering in on this point is that Brazil, in, in particular, and in other, other places of Latin America as well, but in particular Brazil, I mean, there's, there's a really big problem with pyramid schemes and things that just offer you know, 10% monthly returns. And, and it's, it's all just a big Ponzi scheme, right? And even the legislation that's working its way through Congress right now is kind of you know, taking specific steps to uh, impose harsher penalties on, on people who run these schemes. You know there's crypto as kind of a negative image in Brazil mainly because of this reason and at least in my opinion. And you know, I, I want to I'd like to kind of get your thoughts on how can how can this be maybe kind of reframed in a way where this isn't just another, you know, these DeFi things like these aren't just like new pyramid schemes, right? These are this is, there's real innovation here that will provide uh, real returns and real benefits to to consumers and investors in the region.
1: Yeah. I think there's a number of sort of components here to to the answer, right? I think one is actually just educational, right? So I think people uh, will get more comfortable with these concepts once they understand them better, right? And so just education around what, what's a blockchain, how the smart contract works, it's actually quite difficult, right? It's, it's, it's very hard, but I think once, you know, people have a better grasp of it, they will understand that the fundamentals are solid. And then, you know, I think the other components is a track record, for example, right? So obviously, you know, biased towards conduit, right? But we can say, as we're kind of surviving these events, we are actually building up a track record of showing, you know, we weren't exposed to Luna, right? We've done a decent job of managing your risk. And other protocols as well, right? It's not just us, as you mentioned, Compound, Aave, Uniswap, and other ones that have basically survived the test of time, even though it's not that long. But, you know, I mean, in crypto years, a year is like seven years in real world, right? So being around for two, three, four years and kind of showing your track record of not losing customer funds, right? Uh, and things like that is very important and needs to be demonstrated. And I think people don't put enough emphasis on this, especially in this space, right? We're really, uh, we're always prone to chasing the newest Chinese, you know, protocol, the newest Chinese chain or whatever, L1 or L2 or whatever it is. And we don't focus enough on the things that are actually there and working and uh, could be improved for sure, but are functioning. And I think that's that's really important to highlight. And I think beyond that, it's just, it's just building, right? At the end of the day, if you're building things that are actually useful and people get value from and can benefit from and you can do it over some period of time, I think they'll just understand that uh, it's not all schemes. It's not all Poinsies and there's real things here. And I think that, you know, in the next two years, let's say, however long the crypto winter will last, I think we'll we'll establish that. I think we'll be able to show like, Here's the real product. So these are the only ones that are going to be able to survive. Right. Um, so that's that's one of the reasons why I say this is actually healthy for us.
0: I mean, assuming that we are, in fact, entering another crypto winter, um, which I think most everyone would agree that we are now. You mentioned previously that most of these protocols, the aves and the compounds were developed during the last crypto winter. What do you expect to come out of this uh, or, or what do you what advancements do you expect to maybe come out of this this current crypto winter? I think there's a
1: huge opportunity, which I believe we're a part of, of integrating sort of DeFi, decentralized finance, into more traditional finance and just more traditional fintechs and neobanks in general, right? So, you know, I can I can bring up a couple of examples um, where you know a neobank can offer its customers, let's say, reasonable, right, five percent, six percent, whatever it is, yield on on US dollars, things like that. Um, powered by DeFi, right? Not by traditional finance, but to the end user, essentially invisible, right? So I think one of the advancements that we'll see is that a lot of these highly technical, highly complicated protocols will actually kind of shift to the background. You know what I mean? You won't have to interact with them directly. You're going to be able to go to your favorite, you know, FinTech or Neobank or whatever app and just have access to them through that in a way that's, that's just basically seamless to you. You push a button and it works. I think that's gonna be a big, big thing. Um, I think the other thing is that we're going to see products that are helping people sort of weather inflation, right? Because I think this is what we're seeing outside of crypto. We're seeing a, you know, a ton of inflation happening across the world but especially in Latin America, although US as well. And I think we're gonna have products uh, they're they're geared towards that right how do you hedge against inflation essentially and that's that's going to be another thing. Third thing I'll throw out and, and which is probably something around nFTs and I don't think it's going to be the super kind of metaverse you know JPEG-y type thing I think there's going to be something else I'm not sure what it will be though but I just think the the potential is so tremendous that people think to discount this just because, you know, borrowed apes are cheaper today. Whatever, right? That's 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 the a use case. It's not the only use case. And I think people tend to ignore all the other possibilities. So I'm sure somebody will come up with some really cool stuff with
0: NFTs. I don't know what it is. Otherwise, maybe I would have come <laughs> right. up with it myself. Right? right, right. Yeah. Well, with NFTs, it's always like the, it seems like the use cases that make the most sense are the the ones that don't get adopted, and it's like <laughs> it's all the crazy stuff, right, that gets. Uh, you know, the sky high valuations and things, which is kind of kind of the reason it's fun, I guess. But at this point in time in Brazil, we've got a real sort of uh, knife fight essentially for retail consumers, right? We've got, um, there's there's all kind of like the old guard exchanges that are in the market. You've got kind of the larger foreign exchanges like Binance and FTX and crypto.com and some of the other Asian exchanges that are making plays in the market. Um, we've got a lot of the fintechs like Nubank and Uh, and XP Investimentos and and some of these other uh, kind of more kind of household name type firms, BTG Pactual in Brazil that are rolling out uh, retail crypto investing products. And I would like to get your thoughts on how how can a product like yours, you know, maybe help differentiate? uh, I mean, obviously, like, you know, the original value proposition was like a place to buy and sell crypto. But now that there's 15 different places, I can do that. Um, you know, I, I'm looking for some, a bit of ex, as a consumer, I'd be looking for a bit of extra uh, juice or a bit of extra value, and you know, maybe talk a bit about you know how a product suite like yours can help uh, you know an exchange operator or a fintech or a neobank you know, in, in these markets maybe differentiate themselves a bit.
1: Yeah, I think there's a couple of ways, and in fact, by the way, I spent probably most of my fintech career and then a good part of my crypto career as well. Uh, actually on building B2C products, right? So building direct to consumer products. And, you know, one of the lessons that I've learned there, which is an obvious one, but nevertheless is, you know, the seamlessness of your UX really, really counts, right? And it's not just, you know, nicer screens or, you know, more polished buttons or whatever. It's what does the experience actually work, right? Is it... Uh, how many steps do you have in your KYC pro- processes? All these sort of things that actually matter very much. How quickly do things work? Do the user have to, you know, pass through KYC and then wait two days for an approval? Things like that matter a lot. Um, and I think the second part is especially, and this is the part where we can definitely offer value. Um, is, you know, what's there beyond just trading and speculation, right? So everybody's basically on the same level, right? You can buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin, sell Bitcoin, trade it for ETH and, you know, so forth. And that's great. But what else can you offer? Especially right now when you see, you know, Bitcoin prices and crypto prices in general are, you know, dropping quite a bit, Um I think what we offer, which is basically yield and you know, safe, reasonable yield. We're not doing 20% because that's just not going to work, you know, but reasonable ranges, you know, six percent, eight percent type yields. APY, by the way, I'm talking about not monthly, right? It's APY. Uh, but based on a stable principle, right? So the principle is always a stable coin, so that doesn't change that gives your users optionality, right? You can trade a bit, you can speculate a bit, but then you can also park some of your funds into something that it's probably not gonna go up, uh, you know, 20% overnight, but also not gonna drop 40% overnight, right? And you, you can essentially use it as an equivalent of a, you know, high yield savings account type thing. Although it's not a savings account, it's still an investment product, but it's a very stable one, right? It's a kind of stable, solid one. And so for an exchange, uh, Given your customers the opportunity to go into stablecoin in between trades and then actually being able to do something with that stablecoin rather than just have it, have it sit there, I think is going to be very interesting. Um, and, and I think this will also facilitate um, sort of a new user adoption, right? Because things like that are a little bit more intuitive. You know, I put my coins here, I park them here, and I get interest on that and that's it. And it's very low touch, but it's very, you know, the value is very clear i think that's going to you know really help with caxl like cost of, cost of customer acquisition um because that's going to be a differentiating factor
0: great no that's that's super helpful and i i do think the you know the stablecoin yield product has always been one of my favorites just because of the sheer you know I, I mean i've been this is something i've been kind of just promoting to to friends like for a while we're like hey like you know even if you don't believe in bitcoin like you can still make you know 8 9 10% yield just by just on your stable coins, right? On, on some of these platforms. And it's not to say there's no risk, but it, it's it's a fairly like it's a fairly lightweight, you know, way to sort of diversify your portfolio and keep some keep some cash liquid, right? You know, one thing, a couple of things, I, I mean I kind of want to touch on some of the risks associated with these. I mean, just given what we've seen recently, I, I feel like you know, we'd be amiss if we didn't talk about some of these things. I mean, I, I think the first most obvious risk here is you know, given what we've seen with some of these centralized providers, like you know the Celsius and the, and um, you know it look um, and it looks like there's rumors now that BlockFi is is like hemorrhaging money and there, you know it, there's all sorts of, you know, it, it's a bit of a war zone out there, right, right, right now, so uh, or a fud zone or whatever you want to call it, um, and you know just given. I mean, it, it, are you worried that there's going to be that, that some of these, if something like, you know, if, if Celsius is as bad as the situation Celsius is as bad as it looks, if the situation with BlockFi is as bad as it looks, um, is there going to be, you know, a loss of trust in these centralized, basically centralized entities where consumers can, or, you know, can park their funds and then those centralized entities basically go and do all the farming and all the, all the, the weird DeFi stuff to generate these yields. Um, I mean, is that after what we're what, given what we're seeing right now, is this really a sustainable business model moving ahead? Yeah, I think the, so.
1: First of all, I guess I should say that I obviously don't know what's going on inside of Celsius or BlockFi, you know, or any of these firms. Um, so maybe they'll come out of it fine. In some cases, you know, I'm very skeptical of that. Um, I do believe that we're not done yet in the sense that there will be more companies that, you know. Uh, become insolvent or you know lose funds or things like that right i think it's probably more likely on the hedge fund type um things right so like three hours capital is an example of that but there's a few more that are likely will follow a similar path um and with that i'm sure yeah we i'm get i get this question all the time right um customers potential consumers of these type of products are now very concerned and for a very good reason right uh, and I think the biggest concern they have is that like all of these uh, companies that I just mentioned, they're essentially black boxes, right? What happens with your money within Celsius, you have no idea. And, you know, similarly with most of them. And so some of it is actually powered by DeFi, but a lot of it isn't, right? A lot of like why, you know, Celsius is in trouble, is not even DeFi related. A lot of it has to do with things that... Happen in traditional markets just amplified here, right? Leverage, rehypothecation, and all these things that they didn't invent them, right? Crypto didn't invent them, any of this stuff, right? Um, so I think where our strength is, and when I say ours, I mean us as conduit, but also us as this, this ecosystem, right, of, of DeFi protocols, is transparency. Because when you look at a protocol, you can actually see in real time what's going on, right? What are the utilization ratios? You know what's what's happening? Uh, where is the money coming from? Where is the money going? How many liquidations are right? And that's it's true for you know uh, whether permissionless ones like Aave or permissioned ones like Goldfinch or Maple. It's very transparent in a way that you know uh, centralized companies never were. And so I think the the key for us is to keep and, and sort of build up you know confidence is to be able to say, actually, we know exactly what's going on there. Right. And here's what's happening with your money and we can trace it and we can show you and we can tell you, you know, where the risks are and kind of mitigate them and then be smart about this. Right. As opposed to just put your money into this box and then I'm going to close the box and maybe I'll return in the year with some, some return or maybe I
0: won't. Right. Uh, yeah. No, that's a great point. And I think it, it lends to the question of you know how can an exchange or, or a, a neobank or somebody who's offering these types of products basically validate to their customers that hey look we're this isn't a black box we are transparent in this and you know we're using conduit or we're using wh- whichever other vendor that might offer something similar we're using this, you can, you can basically, here's a portal where you can go and basically look and see like what their positions are and, or what, what, what they're plugging into and what these positions are, et cetera, et cetera. And essentially offer this as hey a window into, you know, kind of opening it up for public examination. And instead of just being a black box where, you know, with, with things like, with things like Celsius, I think it was really surprising because a lot of people didn't even know that they were those funds that you park on Celsius were just, we're going and being parked in different DeFi protocols and farming various tokens. And we, we didn't even really learn that until, you know, whenever there was a big DeFi hack, like Celsius always reported that you're losing money from these hacks and we're like, wait a minute, what's going on there? So I think that's, that's an important um, characteristic that um, you know, any, any, cause I, I mean, I'm just thinking of this in terms of, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm exchange X in Brazil and, I'm, I wanna offer this yield product, but I'm just being ambushed by skepticism about this. Well, look at what happened to Celsius, look what happened to these other people. You know, How can I essentially get in front of the narrative and be like, well, yeah, those things are bad, but what we're doing here is fun- fundamentally different in the sense that we are transparent. We're taking the fundamentally opposite ethos of what uh, these other folks are doing. But not really a question, but like, would love your reaction to that.
1: Yeah, I think like, look, honestly, I think this is this is interesting because the really the very first line of code that we ever wrote, right, as a company when we started building things was actually not not on what ended up being the actual product, but instead it was a monitoring system that you know monitored the protocols that we were connecting into and collected a lot of data around them and you know sent it back to us for for analysis. And I'll, I'll be honest, like when I, when I started, I thought, you know what, I can probably just buy this off of somebody. So I pinged I ping a bunch of, you know, a bunch of sort of data on firms and I was asking them, like, can you just give me the data that we're looking for? And they said, oh, no, we don't have it. Or maybe we're building it, but it's not there yet, et cetera. So we ended up having to do it ourselves and we don't hide that essentially, right? if you're a customer or potential customer, we're very happy to um, open up the hood, you know, so to speak and and, and show, okay, here's what's actually going on inside. That was literally the first thing we did for our own comfort. And, you know, ourselves, by the way, right. What we do specifically is we actually place our own money, right. So the company's money into, you know, a protocol to test it before we expose our customers to it. Um, Right. So we raised like venture funding and our board is, on board with us doing that, we're essentially we're using our own products and we're we're placing our funds before any customers just to make sure that it's safe and secure. Right. And if it's we feel that, you know, by by um by walking the walk essentially, right? Uh putting our money where what our mouth is, like literally, I think we can we can demonstrate our own track record and we can build up confidence. And I think, you know, to a broader point, everybody like, I think the companies that will succeed are Maybe that they won't be exactly like us, but I think there's gonna be have to be a similar philosophy of we have to be open about this, we have to be transparent about this. And if anybody asks, we can show you exactly what's going on.
0: Yeah, that's great. I think that ethos is is hundred percent correct. So I, I appreciate you elaborating on that. The other big risk that I see here is is on the regulation side. And and, and granted, like this is this is all very premature. So it's kind of hard to even handicap, really, because even just in the US, we're starting to kind of realize what what are the risks associated with some of these, the regulatory risks associated with these lending products. Obviously, you had the SEC sort of swat down Coinbase and their earn program. And then and Brian Armstrong went and vented on Twitter about it, which was pretty wild, in my opinion, that he would do that. But, but it shows kind of like maybe some frustration. And then obviously BlockFi, Celsius, uh, Nexo, and these things are getting fined and, and and you know, cease and desist orders. And granted, these are not, I mean, there, there's a bit of an apple and oranges comparison here because these are are different from what from what you're offering. And obviously in, in Latin America, where in Brazil, they're just on the verge of passing a crypto regulation bill that, that as far as I know doesn't even touch on any of this stuff. I, I'm not familiar with Latin America or with Argentina or with what some of the other countries you operate in, but I would assume it's probably the same where there's no real guidance for this is how you offer crypto yield products. So maybe you just kind of walk us through what you're thinking on or, or how, how, you're, how you're assessing some of the, these regulatory risks that, you know, it seems like this is the type of thing that's going to be an issue uh, at some point. So how are you thinking through these right now?
1: Yeah. So there's, there's a bunch of ways that we think about these things. And I think number one, you know, for us to remain in business, we always have to be compliant, we always have to be above board. So we're always following the rules. Um, you know, I think the the challenge there is to, are there even rules, right? And are even in the place? Are they, you know, uh, or are they not, you know, are they in progress like in Brazil? Are they changing like in the U S and what's going on there? So, I think I'll, you know, my general, I guess, our general approach, as I said, to always be compliant. And I think part of that is actually offering whenever possible and whenever makes sense um, sort of education to the regulators as well, right? So we we published some pieces in the American Banker, for example, hopefully for the U.S. audience to read. And, you know, my stance on that is the fact that, yes, there should be regulation. It should be smart right? And by smart, I mean that crypto is extremely broad. You can't just put all of crypto under the same kind of label, right? Even under the same regulatory agency, you have things like stable coins that are probably better suited to, you know, in the US, it would be maybe the Federal Reserve or the OCC. In other countries, different, you know, different agencies. Um, In certain cases, it's similar to security. So it'd be the SEC, right? But the bigger point I'm making is that there are a lot of Crypto products out there—they are different, just like regular financial products. They can't be lumped under the same kind of you know umbrella. They actually have to be separated out. And even when you apply rules to, rules to these things, they should be different rules, right? Stable coins don't work in the same way as uh, you know tokens or as L1s or whatever it is, right? So they they should be all different now. That's all very broad and not super practical, but I just think that's, that's the right approach to these things. What we're actually seeing, right, in, 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 um, in actuality is this, this landscape is very fragmented, right? So for example, in Argentina, right, recently the central bank said uh, to other banking uh, partners, they, they can't be touching crypto that's you know a rule, and we abide by the rules, right? So we're not we can't work with any bank, for example, in Argentina, right? But we can work with non-banking customers. Is that the best way to go about these things? Probably not, you know. What I mean, <laughs> probably not. So I can have my own opinion, but we'll still abide by these rules. And so one of the biggest challenges that we actually face is not the technical part, and that which is difficult and complicated, but it's figuring out. So our legislation in every country where we operate, right, and so it takes us time and it takes us money, but we end up with something that works and is backed up by, you know, legal opinions of folks in Brazil, for example, right, or in Colombia and etc., or in the U.S. Um, and as, as these schemes change, we monitor them we watch them. Again, we can offer opinions, and hopefully they are being heard by somebody somewhere. Uh, but we play by the rules and there's, there's no other way to do it, unfortunately. I mean, is
0: that a big issue that's being raised amongst potential clients where they say, you know, in Brazil, for example, they say, Hey, like this looks really interesting. We would, our clients would love this, but there's just, it's very uncertain how this would, you know, where does this fit in kind of the regulatory landscape? Uh, is this going to be something where we get slapped on the hand and fined later on down the line for following rule for not following rules that don't exist? I guess one of those types of things, right? Where it's like in crypto, it's like you kind of have to have that, you know, sort of break things, move fast and break things mentality and ask for forgiveness later. But you also want to, you know, you need to do so within reason, right? And, and I guess I'm, I'm just kind of curious, like what, what's what been the response from exchanges or from potential clients on this topic?
1: Yeah, it's absolutely right, right? The, you know, all of our customers or the vast majority of our customers always ask us, what's, you know, how is this legal? What's the regulation looks like? What's the compliance angle looks like, right? And then we have an answer. So, for example, in Brazil, but actually in every country where we operate, you know, we always work with a reputable local partner, right? So a local uh, law firm, specifically in case of Brazil, it's a law firm uh, that we vetted out that was highly recommended and highly reputable. And um, we can always bring them right to, into the conversation with a customer and demonstrate Essentially, what we're saying is don't take our word for it, right? Uh, Here's somebody who knows this this landscape. Here's somebody who understands it really well. And here's what they think about what we're doing. And sometimes they explain that there are certain restrictions on us and we abide by them. Uh, But, you know, I think in most cases, our response is, my response is, don't take my word for it, right? Take, you know, here's somebody who knows this better than I do. Here's what they think. And it's in line with what we're offering. And here's how cost and that's that's how customers get comfortable with it, right? We ended up with this whole network of, of sort of legal advisors, essentially, all over the place. And um, uh, as I was saying, it's expensive, but it works, uh, and it does it does help our customers be comfortable with this.
0: Yeah, and at the end of the day, it's going to depend on on the client's risk tolerance, right? At the end of the day, like we can do everything you can uh, check the boxes, so to speak, but there's only so many boxes you can check when there's no real framework in place, but you can try to make, you know, we're doing everything we can, a good faith effort. Each individual client has to determine, you know, what their particular risk tolerance is like that fits in within their parameters or not. So to kind of close things off here, I'd I'd like to kind of get your sense of just maybe kind of where we're going uh, from a market perspective, obviously we're, seems we're officially in a bear market here again. You know, there's a lot of you know uncertainty in a place like Latin America, especially where people have been burned by volatility, (laughs) you know, over the decades, right? And is crypto just another thing that's just going to pump and dump and like disappear? I'd like to get your thoughts on some of that, as well as um, you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, hedging pro- products that can hedge against inflation via stable coins and things of that nature, you know, given that pretty much every country that you're operating in is experiencing pretty high inflation right now, you know, where do you see these types of products going and, and, and what type of adoption do you see occurring even during the bear market here?
1: I do think first we're in essentially in crypto winter. I think it's gonna be for or it's gonna be a while. I think it's probably gonna be over a year and probably less than two years, right? So maybe eighteen months or so is, again, my opinion. Don't take this as investment advice or anything like that. That's my personal opinion that we're gonna be in this for a while. I don't think Bitcoin or any, you know, or crypto in general is going to zero. No, it's here to stay. I do think we're kind of linger around these price points that we see now. And we, we probably will actually experience drops. I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Bitcoin in the, in the teens for a while. But I also am certain that they will come back, right? And uh, I think more than a year or two at the very most, uh, we'll see new highs. And uh, I think the industry in general as I was saying, will actually benefit because we'll see things that are more sustainable. Uh, we'll see things that are more practical, uh, hopefully bring more utility and more usefulness and primarily bring real world usefulness, right? Not internal. So I think, I know I said this before, but I really, really think it's it's important for crypto to really break out and get to the next level. Uh, it needs to sort of put some bubble not in the price sense, but in the isolation sense, right? Because a lot of this ecosystem is really, main, really created for interacting within the same ecosystem, right? We're all kind of, kind of working with each other, and I think that's actually wrong, right? We will not get to the next level of adoption of billions of people if we don't build things that they can actually use without having to understand what what crypto is, right? I think that's that's the next level. And I think this is what the, this this winter, this bear market will force us. To get there right we, we essentially won't have a choice um in the meanwhile right in the kind of the um, in the fiat world yeah we're seeing a lot of inflation all over the place and I think you know one thing that we're offering as an example is you can get into a different currency right the USD or uh, now circle has uh, euro coin and all these sort of things uh, and those are less inflationary than a lot of the other fiats that we're seeing out there. So I think that's going to be a really important component. And this is what we're building towards is the ability for people to seamlessly go from, you know, let's say Colombian pesos, and maybe they can't get USD, but they can get USDC, right? And if they can get that and hold it, maybe they get yield on top of it, for example, that's a really good inflation hedge, right? Essentially, you're seeing your money not, melt away, but you're maintaining its value and maybe even increasing it a little bit. Um, and so I think we'll see things that are less speculative, less trading focused, and more kind of value focused, longer term value focused. Because again, it's, the market is forcing us to do that. We don't really have a choice. Uh, but I actually think that's a good thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would 100% agree. And I, and I do think that these kind of hedging products, right, are in a place like Brazil or in a place like Argentina, you just see it, like people just intuitively understand these use cases, right? Where you don't need to explain to somebody in Argentina, like why something like dye is a is value, right? Like it's, uh, or, or even in a place like Brazil where, you know, if, if you're able to park some of your ice and, and convert those into USDC and like keep those, in, you know, that's a very functional light lift inflation hedge, essentially, if you're, I mean, I guess the dollar's inflating at about the same rate as the, the rail right now. So maybe it's not that great of an inflation hedge, but, but, but with these new products, like the, the Euro product that circles rolling out and some of these other, other things, just having that optionality. Where uh, individuals and investors and and companies even can kind of diversify their portfolios and and kind of hedge their risk a bit uh, using these products. I mean, once these things are widely available, there's there's no doubt in my mind that they will be used and used a lot. So, anyway, we're about out of time here, but I'd like to just give you the last word. If there's anything else you wanted to add or or any extra color you wanted to share. So thank you, first of all, for having me. If I can add
1: one more thing, it's the fact that our whole kind of reason for existence is to bring that seamless experience I was mentioning earlier, right? Is to help our customers, FinTechs, new banks, exchanges, right? Is to help them get uh, their users products that are extremely easy, extremely seamless. And there's a lot of components that we put in place for that to happen. And that's that's our job, right? And then that includes technical things, and then includes regulatory and compliant things, and we take on the pain, so so you know our customers don't have to. And again, I think that's that. Those are the type of products where I will succeed. In fact, I think one one of our investors actually said this, right? For for DeFi to be really adopted at scale, it has to become invisible, right? It has to become. Uh, so seamless that you don't even know is, that it's there as, as a user. The big difference is with DeFi, you can actually, if you have the technical skills or the knowledge or if you're interested in it, you can dig deeper, right? You can look at the protocol, as I was saying. You can understand what's going on. Um, more traditional financial products, hopefully you can't.
0: Um, and I so thought that's a major difference. And I think this is what we're going to see. Kirill, well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And uh, how can folks get in touch with you if they want to learn more?
1: Sure. They can always find me on LinkedIn, for example, and uh, message me there. They can always find me on Twitter. They can just email me at hello uh, at conduit.fi.
0: Uh, and while I'm there, I'll always answer. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Obrigado, everyone. And thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the Brazil Crypto Report newsletter on Substack if you haven't already. And please do give the show a five-star rating on your podcast app if you enjoyed this content. We'll be back soon with another great guest.